Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, farmers have shortened up crop rotations for a number of reasons, mostly economics. Oilseed agronomy research scientist Pat Molecki is with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada at the Saskatoon Research and Development Centre. He said there are a lot of issues popping up now because of this practice, including herbicide resistance in weeds and increased disease pressure on crops, including blackleg and fusarium head blight. Patrick says the continuing practice will have long-term implications. And there tends to be a focus on the negative impact of farming, like greenhouse gas emitted from vehicles, fertilizers and grain transportation. But there is new work showing that the impact can be offset by planting trees. It's estimated more than 21.3 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent is stored in Saskatchewan's 60,000 kilometres of shelter belts, representing about $639 million in total economic value under the federal $30 per tonne carbon dioxide equivalent pricing system. Brian Mood with USASC will discuss a new app that's developed at the university that is designed to show the economic value of shelter belts while helping landowners determine the best trees to grow. After the break, Patrick Molecki. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Short crop rotations are having an impact on farms. With me is Patrick Molecki, an oilseed agronomy research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada at the Saskatoon Research and Development Centre. Patrick, why is this uh, such an important issue right now? Diversity in the rotation allows time for crop residues and the pathogens to break down. Uh, which reduces the risk of subsequent unsusceptible crops. So if fusarium head blight is the major disease, practice of rotation away from cereal crops to at least one year, and preferably two years, that will be going to help. So canola in the rotation with small cereal grains has also been shown to increase fusarium head blight. And this is according to uh, the Ministry of Infrastructure and Ministry of Agriculture in the fact sheet on uh, fusarium head blight. So you can see that this information is not new. We are advising farmers to do the right thing. So let's talk about the impacts of crop rotation on weeds and disease. What's the biggest concern? Increasing risks which are associated with the development of herbicide resistance in the weeds because you are growing in the same field, the same type of crops and chances. So you are not giving yourself a break to certain types of herbicides that you are, doing, you are, you are using. Increase in disease incidence as well as severity, increase in the cost um, of disease and weed control, the loss of income due to poor quality uh, crops, and loss of markets due to rejection of crops with high levels of diseases. We have seen that with uh, blackleg recently in, in China, right? So these are big issues that farmers have to consider. So when we talk about heb- uh, in increase in herbicide resistance, um, this, this was published, uh, this was in a paper that was published by uh, Dr. Hugh Becky in 20, uh, in 20 no, I adopted this from Dr. Hugh Becky. It was published by Dr. Ian Hell in Weed Science. Just showing in Canada the number of unique research cases of, uh, uh, of weed resistance it has been increasing since 1975 and because of the intensity and it keeps, it keeps going up. 
So with tight rotations, uh, we're starting to see an uptick in diseases like black leg, club root, fusarium, head blight, and and pea diseases like root rot. How uh, would producers protect their crops by extending rotations? Our standard right now in Saskatchewan is four years. Okay, so that if it's reduced, we are increasing just the risk, right? Right now, to be on the safe side, of course, it should be three years in between. They did the same crop. But when we cut it back, say, maybe two years in between, or three years in, two years in between, with a different crop, different type of crop, that's still probably on the safe side. But the moment we reduce that from the two years, then we start getting into them. So typically, yes, ideally, we should have at least three years in between, a break of three years. So it seems the main reason that uh, producers are continuous cropping is economics. Farmers want to be profitable, but it certainly goes beyond that, doesn't it? One of the reasons you'll find is that, uh, let's say, for example, when you go to uh, crop sphere or crop production show, you'll find that most of the time, the, most of the farmers will attend the sessions where they're talking about the, 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 each, each crop's outlook. What's the potential for this crop to have? What kind of prices are going to be? Is the price of this crop going to go down or it's going to go up? So they are following that very closely. As compared to, say, you have an agronomy session, more, pharma, more producers will go and listen to the outlook, right? Because they want to see which crop is going to yield more. So in most, in most cases, farmers are focusing on which one is the best crop now. If I grow it, it will give me the best price. So crop rotation comes as secondary. Uh, the other part also is the fact that there aren't many crops, of course, I would say, that are, 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 better, are better options for them from an economic point of view as well. Now, let's take, for example, the Northeast. So when you're looking at the Northeast, what are the choices for the farmers? Let's say, for example, well, they don't have the option to grow lentils, for example, because of the, the, the way the region is. Um, probably they can grow some, um, some peas, but what is happening, what has happened in the last few years, it has been wet. We had uh, from, 20, uh, from 2010 going forward, it was mainly about, about normal precipitation. So we had higher um, incidences of uh, root rot for peas, right? So as a result, farmers were not growing peas. Um, flax, which is the other option that can grow across, across the entire province, doesn't have a very good market, say limited market. So farmers don't have very good choices, I would say, sometimes because of those issues. Either diseases that have come up in the area, they can grow certain crops, or because of the nature of the, the area. So the crops that are there that they can diversify into sometimes don't compete very well from an economic point of view. So that could be one of the reasons. Not that farmers don't want to rotate, but it's because they are being pressed by the economic side. In some of the survey information, Northeast and Northwest Saskatchewan in particular, we're not seeing the crop rotation diversity. Why is that? And not having options that have good yielding potentials. Uh, I mean, uh, not good yield, but in terms of uh, productivity, in terms of profitability. So they are looking at that and say, hey, well, I might as well a crop that's going to give me uh, a yield. But the problem with that is, yes, that's short-term benefits you're getting. But the long-term benefit is that your yields in that particular crop are going to go down. Or 
the, the province may even shut you down to simply say, in this area, you can't grow this crop because of this particular disease. That means you have lost that crop. So you've talked about uh, a popular rotation, wheat, canola, wheat, canola. Maybe just expand on that. The options from an economic point of view are also limited for the farmers. Environmental changes, as I said, and um, like the, what are the options right now that they have? Let's say, for example, they can grow faba beans. But do we have a good market for faba beans? Not yet. In the last eight years I have been uh, around here, we have been promoting faba beans. But have they picked up? No. Faba beans haven't picked up because they don't have a good market out there. But if there was a market, farmers could easily grow faba beans in Saskatchewan, right? And move away from uh, from canola wheat, canola wheat process. So that's what I said that it's one, one of the reasons is because farmers are pressed on one end because of economic reasons. So they can't choose certain crops that can grow, they can diversify too. But again, they may grow that crop and they have nothing, right? They could probably have a green, a, a green, I mean, a, a green manure in rotation, including a green manure in rotation in there. But they're getting a hit from an economic point of view because that crop they are growing, they are not going to harvest it. It's going to be good from an, going to be good from an agronomic point of view, but not from uh, the profitable point of view in the short term, right? The long term, yes, but not short term. So it's those limitations that are forcing producers in the northeast and uh, south and the northwest from diversifying very effectively is again lack of very good options that they can they can they can move to flax as i said can grow in the northwest and and um, and the northeast but the problem is that it doesn't have a, a large market Research scientist Patrick Malecki is with us talking about the impact of short crop rotations. So, Patrick, does changing the varieties of wheat and canola from one year to the next help with some of those concerns? Yeah, it will help to a certain extent. It will help, but it's still mainly the same crop, right? It is still the same crop. And when you do that, that's the reason why we have seen a breakdown in the resistance for black leg, right? because you're increasing the frequency of that crop. So you're increasing its chances of losing its own resistance. So yeah, it's still good, but the best is to change to a different crop instead of the same crop, different variety. We are gonna be losing our resistance in this variety that I developed if we increase the, the frequency of growing it. So you can't just rotate by different varieties. You have to rotate in different crop types. So if a producer is, let's say, experiencing issues with fusarium head blight in wheat or club root in canola, it's even more important to find another crop like green manure or flax to break up that rotation? If they say, for example, it's, uh, it's uh, club root, for example, or let's, not, let's say, for example, black leg, right? And you know that, of course, uh, flax doesn't, they're not, they're not affected. You may want to have a break just by growing maybe a green manure field crop so that you have a break in between. Even if you zero I'm ahead, like according to this, uh, to, to research, so that even at least one year in between your, 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 your wheat crops can reduce the severity of the fusarium head blight, right? So if you have those issues where, you know, are your options only canola and wheat, then you should introduce in even a green manure, as I said. 
is gonna you are gonna get a hit from an economic point of view in the short term, but at least it widens your area. Maybe for two years you grow a different crop also, maybe flax, maybe um flax, right? So if you grow that, so you give it a break that one of them at least you can then afterwards you can grow your wheat back. Right? You so you definitely need to find a choice in your area. There are choices, but they're not the best choices in terms of the price that you get. Right? So you may want to try those those, uh, those other options. But it isn't for everyone. It really depends on where your farm is situated, I guess, geographically in the province and on the prairies as well. There are options. You can see the number of crops that they can still grow, right? In those same areas. Every area has some numbers of crops that they can grow. They may not be the best options from a pocket point of view because the price maybe is going to be low that supplier. But if that's what you need to use as a tool, not to have significant issues in diseases on your main crops, then you just have to, you know, to, to buy the bullet and, uh, and, and grow that particular crop that you give yourself a break so that when you grow your canola back in, in maybe two years down the road, at least you have got a good yield and you are reducing the, that pressure of those diseases that are affecting you. Some of the information and statistics that you shared during a recent webinar um, are based on a survey by Saskatchewan Crop Insurance Corporation. So there isn't a crop rotation study going on right now. Why is that? To do a crop rotation study that takes five years, it takes a lot of money and nobody wants to fund that. Nobody wants to fund a research, a, a crop rotation research that is going to follow the diseases clearly so that over five years you do that and you repeat those five years. Nobody wants to fund that. So we are going to be remaining with these short-term studies, just looking at a few crops here and there because nobody wants to fund uh, even just two cycles of a crop rotation, which personally as an agronomist, as, a, as an oil seed crop agronomist, I have written proposals to do something, something like that and work on a crop rotation, but these are turned down because nobody wants to fund that kind of research. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada oilseed agronomy research scientist Patrick Malecki. After the break, Brian Mood with the USAS College of Ag and Bioresources talks about an app that agricultural landowners can use to determine the carbon offset value of planting shelter belts. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Have you ever wondered about the carbon offset value of those shelter belts on your land? A new app developed by researchers at the University of Saskatchewan may soon be able to help you estimate their economic value. Brian Mood is a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Saskatchewan College of Agriculture and Bioresources. Brian, these researchers saw a need to provide this information to landowners. Uh, as carbon taxes really have become more impactful now. So the University of Saskatchewan has developed a brand new unique app called the Shelter Belt Decision Support System, which helps landowners uh, decide on which shelter belt species they'd like to plant, how to best plant them, where to get them, and what it may look like in terms of economic potential. So how much money those shelter belts could be worth both now and far into the future. So this new app uh, really is more important than ever. Landowners will actually be able to calculate how much carbon they'll accumulate in trees planted in those shelter belts? The app is partially necessary because a lot of landowners are pulling out their trees uh, to make way for larger equipment, 
or they don't see the uh, necessity of the shelter belts anymore. But we're seeing more and more that those shelter belts are continuing to be very important, especially when it comes to things like uh, protecting uh, arable land from drought. In addition to that, with the new federal carbon tax, carbon now has an economic value. And under the Saskatchewan Climate Change Adaptation Plan called Prairie Resilience Plan, as well as the 2019 Saskatchewan Growth Plan, there's incentives or planning to be incentives to actually pay landowners, foresters, and others uh, for storing carbon and not just charging for it. And so those trees store a predictable amount of carbon uh, every year, and that can be equated to a dollar value. So farmers can actually make more money from their trees and not just money from uh, the additional crop or yield that they get from nearby shelter belts. Now, historically, shelter belts were used to protect crops from wind and prevent soil erosion and help retain soil moisture, especially during the Dust Bowl conditions of the dirty 30s. Uh, This rebate program uh, is uh, being set up but hasn't quite been rolled out yet? So the getting the money back is actually in the works currently uh, for the the province of Saskatchewan. There's uh, indications that they're planning on implementing it in the very near future. Um, And so before those landowners uh, decide to dig up those shelter belts, they may want to reconsider because maybe in the next year or two, maybe as far as three years from now, those shelter belts will be worth uh, money or a particular amount of money each year. I can imagine uh, developing an app that qualifies for carbon offset, the value of shelter belts wasn't an easy process. Yes, it, it is actually very difficult. Um, so we went throughout southern Saskatchewan um, from Prince Albert South all the way to the border, uh, to the Alberta border and to the Manitoba border, and we sampled, oh, roughly a 1,000 shelter belt trees uh, throughout the province. Um, and then we took that information and then we modeled it and used that information to kind of understand how how the trees are growing in terms of carbon. So how much they're how much carbon they're storing each year uh, based on their age and based on their kind of environment, specifically their soil type. So um, with a very high degree of certainty, we can actually estimate um, how much carbon that tree is storing, both um, in the ground as well as in the tree itself. So it, it took a lot of work. This is the, the culmination of about 10 years of research uh, from the University of Saskatchewan to come up with these numbers and, and get a good estimate for how much um, carbon trees are storing year on year. Brian Mood is my guest. He's with the University of Saskatchewan. We're talking about a new app that uh, calculates the carbon value of shelter belts. Brian, uh, farmers who want the app can easily get access to it now? The app is absolutely free, um, and they can just visit the website, which is www.shelterbelt-sk.ca, and they can look at the new shelter belt planner. They can either... Um, plan a new shelter belt if they wish, or they can actually look at their current shelter belt that they may have and see how much carbon they have stored and what they may be worth into the future as well. And I guess you're already seeing some interest in that app. Uh, the the app is fairly new. We're getting um, users are sending me lots of emails asking for uh, information. We've been doing um, rounds at uh, trade shows for the past year, but this is the um, official beta release, and so we're still looking for uh, input from landowners uh, on what they would like to see on the app, 
a lot of what's on there right now is feedback from them. Um, in terms of uptake and people using it, um, we're seeing about a thousand uh, people visiting the website and looking at the DSS a month so far, and we're expecting that number to increase uh, as time goes on, as people start to recognize the value of shelter belts and as it becomes more commonly known about in the province as well. And I guess, uh, finally, Brian, there's really no time like the present to consider a shelter belt. With uh, climate change um, and you're getting uh, less spring um, soil moisture, those uh, shelter belts not only protect from wind and erosion, but they also help uh, retain soil moisture, which is something that uh, every time we go to a to a farm, that's something that the landowners mention as they say, it's really dry. It's really dry, and the shelter belts can help with that. On a final note, the app also provides a planning tool that shows the best type of trees to grow in various areas of Saskatchewan and gives users planting guides to ensure new shelter belts thrive. A three-row farmyard shelter belt surrounding the homestead with carragana, white spruce and green ash would be worth about $5,300 in carbon offset value by 2050 as one example. Another example is a quarter section long shelter belt of Carragana would be worth $1,900 by 2050 under the $30 per ton carbon dioxide equivalent model. You can access the app shelterbelt-sk.ca. It's time for the Agriculture News Roundup for the week of July 13, 2020. The Canadian Crop Hail Association reported crop hail damage claims continued to mount. President Rick Omelchenko said members had been busy checking on over 120 claims from storms in late June and early July. He said reported heavy rain and flooding contributed to crop damage from hailstorms in parts of western Canada. Omelchenko said damage ranged from light to severe with hailstones in the pea to tennis ball size. Haying continued to be a challenge in Saskatchewan's north and central regions. Shellbrook Area Farmer and Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association Chair Arnold Balicki said conditions were worse north and west in the Meadow Lake region. Heavy rain in June resulted in some serious flooding. Balicki says pastures are doing well, but cool weather and spring frosts hurt the forages. Farmers were on the lookout for sclerotinia stem rot in canola. There is a history of sclerotinia on the prairies, so the potential for disease is always there as long as there is moisture. A petal and spore test can help with the decision to spray a fungicide. Ag Canada research scientist Kelly Turkington says that the wet pants test works the best. If your pants get wet while scouting canola midday, the canopy has enough moisture for the development of disease. Dairy farmers are concerned they have not received the balance of compensation promised by the federal government for losses related to recent international trade agreements. Dairy Farmers of Canada's annual meeting went virtual. DFC President Pierre Lampron says Canada's trade agreement with the European Union came into force in 2017, while the deal with the Trans-Pacific countries came into effect in 2018. And the effect of those agreements have been further exasperated by Canada's new trade agreement with the United States and Mexico on July 1st.
Hog prices continued to be depressed as producers continue to struggle with market options. Tyler Fulton with Ham's Marketing Services said the cash market in the U.S. struggled to make gains. He said the values are at some of the lowest levels seen in the last decade. He said there is still a backlog of animals for processing as plants are not back up to 100% capacity with COVID-19 related shutdowns. A Regina, Saskatchewan-based manufacturer completed its purchase of GeoShack Canada and Intech distributors. This made Brandt Group of Companies the exclusive dealer for TopCon positioning systems, which is used in several industries, including agriculture technology and aerial mapping. GeoShack and Intech brands and operations will be transitioned into Brandt's technical division. And a large Saskatchewan farm show converted to a virtual event due to the COVID-19 restrictions. Ag in Motion, usually held near Langham, will be entirely online. Show director Rob O'Connor said there would be over 240 seminars and presentations. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.